podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Jenny. Ethan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've been I've been syncing my heart brain with my head brain lately. Feels good. Got this new uh, tracker that I plug into my earlobe and <laughs> have an app from the HeartMath company. So I don't know. It's good stuff. You just clip it on your earlobe and it and it tracks your your heart rate and checks the heart rate variability. Hmm. And if you have a lower heart rate variability, it means you're in the zone. You have coherence. No, man, you're, you're opposite. That's, that's wrong. You want a higher heart rate variability. You're going for the wrong thing right now. I'm 100% sure of that. I, I've, you, Why would you, you want a high variability right in your heart rate? It'd be jumping around all over the place. That is a sign of health. I, I guarantee it. I win. I guarantee you. <laughs> This is the battle of heart rate coherence yeah, apps. Can, can we, how, how much? I will bet one Bitcoin if you like. <laughs> there, there. Who is the top gun coherence? All right. We got to get into this. Who are we talking <laughs> with today, Ethan? We're talking here with Tristan Pollock, and he is an entrepreneur, founder, startup investor, among many other things, currently building CTO.ai. He's invested $30 million into over 200 startups. That's pretty cool. But he brought an idea that we're going to talk about instead for a little bit. Tell us about it, uh, Chris. Yeah, the idea is uh, a way to manage carbon emissions via the blockchain. And Tristan, what's the story behind this idea? So I've been spending a lot of time kind of in between the worlds of climate and impact tech and trying to find that intersection between, let's say, like Silicon Valley style, lean startup entrepreneurship and, you know, the other side, which is a lot of times nonprofits or, you know, social enterprises and another thing I'm really excited about is blockchain, decentralization, you know, crypto. And so I, I, you know, I was just riffing on this when I saw, like, I love the idea of your guys' podcast. And I was like, well, how do, what if we could combine those worlds a bit? I, I think it's good to frame this a little bit around not necessarily the urgency of solving this problem from a climate standpoint. That, it, it, that is true. It's very urgent. I think it's the most pressing thing that we need to do as humans. We need to stay under that two degrees Celsius limit in order to uh, avoid mass extinction and droughts and famines and all that kind of stuff. But there's also the angle of investment opportunities here that are coming into it. Elon Musk recently made the news with his $100, $100 million XPRIZE for carbon removal. It's the largest XPRIZE ever. Jeff Bezos also committed $10 billion. So uh, a couple of orders of magnitude higher than Elon. Elon, you got to step your game up, man. One other point, Shamath Palahapatiya. I believe is how you pronounce his last name. He believes this will be a $1 trillion market by 2030, I think is what he said. Do we know who that is? I don't know much about that guy. He's a huge venture capitalist. He's uh, you know one of the early, early uh, employees at Facebook, and he's made a ton of money backing. He's, yeah, he runs social capital, and a lot of people want him to run for governor of California. He's very uh, prolific on Twitter, kind of like Elon is. You know, you have Amazon too, right? Like they've launched their own climate fund. You have, all, you know, all the big companies, Twitter, Google, all have like these kind of like, let's be net zero by 
X date. And some of like, let's say like Facebook or Amazon are doing playing around cryptocurrency. Amazon just today announced something where they were looking at developing nations and bringing that in. So I think that there's a lot of interest. Everyone's getting into both sides of this. And now, you know, how do we kind of fuse that buying power, that decentralized monetary power for good? By the way, I do know Shamatha. We go way back. I was just asking for that <laughs> listener that might not, uh, yeah, not understand. <laughs> but thank you, thank you guys. <laughs> so why why the blockchain? Let's talk about that. Why uh, we, we've talked about this being a, a problem uh, worth addressing, both financially and for humanity's sake. But why, other than you know, it's part of the zeitgeist and Bitcoin's price is at forty seven thousand dollars or something like that today. Uh, why does blockchain? What benefits does blockchain bring to solving the climate crisis? Yeah, I think it comes back to that that transparency of knowing and reporting where these governments, let's say if you think about the Paris Accord and governments are you know signing this agreement and trying to be held accountable to the amount of emissions that they put out, uh, you know, how do we how do we track this in a, in in this trustless way so that it's it's actually being reported. And I think that's kind of where like blockchain comes into it, where this decentralization has kind of put the power in the back of the hands of the people. You have full visibility where everyone tracks. And it's not just through, let's say, like one node of like, so Amazon saying that they're going to go neutral by, you know, 2030 or, or, or so, you know, that we actually can tell, you know, based on emissions. And I think the big challenge is how do you actually know the exact emissions? Because you're kind of counting on that responsibility of them to report. But there also might be other ways that you could tie in data sources, kind of like Chainlink does these smart contracts with other data sources and pulls them back to the blockchain, thus giving you uh, data surrounding a contract. So it's not just, hey, this contract was signed went from this person to that person. It's also like, and here are the other variables around that. And so I think there's some things there that could play well with other technologies that have been created in our tracking. And you plug this into maybe a total governance, a world governance sort of thing that's backed by some sort of coin, eco coin or something like this, that also you might be able to funnel back into it. So actually it is already something called eco coin. And there's all, there's, there's a, a site called Nori, which I found doing some research about this kind of interesting, they're putting a coin value on carbon, basically, right? And so they're allowing farmers to sell carbon that they've removed from the atmosphere and sell that to people who are putting carbon out into the atmosphere. And they actually have two podcasts I'll, I'll shout out to. One is called Reversing Climate Change, the other Car Carbon Removal Newsroom, I believe. But yeah, a lot of in informative content from them. You know, the business is up and running. Clearly, they're doing something right. Does this, is this a competitor? I don't know. Maybe it's just a proof of concept. It seems like, especially in the blockchain space, people are, you know, throwing out all sorts of ideas and, you know, seeing what sticks. So there's definitely space to add something to the equation for sure. Well, before evaluating whether it makes sense to evaluate them as a competitor, I think that they are a good reason. You know, a good example of why you don't need the blockchain, the way that they're actually implementing their solution. They're collecting money from uh, users. You can log into their site and say, I want to offset my yearly carbon emissions. And the average American emits 16 metric tons of carbon per year. And that works out to be in about $270 of carbon emissions 
priced using their uh, using their system. So you can just buy that. I, I, I guess I don't see the value of the blockchain in there because when you buy it, it's not staying in some sort of marketplace. They are just putting it on the ledger and saying, immutably, you bought this. So there's there's a discussion about this on one of those podcasts that I mentioned. And basically, there's a few things that happen in selling these carbon credits as it is. Number one is you have administrative fees uh, where a lot of things can be lost. I've heard estimates of up to 50% of the costs of handling these carbon credits just goes to sort of administrative costs and things like that. And then what can also happen is you can have double selling of credits, right? So it's like, you know, this farmer farmed this much and they want to sell the credits they have, but they happen to just sell it to this, you know, industrial polluter and this industrial polluter as well. And both industrial polluters get to say that they've improved the environment and everything's going great and nobody's punished and, and it's not kept track of. And I guess the idea here is, Especially when you do things like connect the Internet of Things, maybe you have sensors that actually go in the soil of the farmers and things like that to make sure uh, we can tell how much carbon is being drawn in and things like this. So that that is definitely part of the problem as I've as I've seen it. That administration leaves room for errors and double dealings and things like this. I mean, the other market that this reminds me of that is that it's more mature is the SREC market, uh, solar renewable energy credits. They are, they've been sold for some time and double counting is an issue with SREX. I don't know why, honestly, that hasn't been solved. It seems like that's not that hard of a problem. You don't need a blockchain to, uh, to prevent double counting of transactions, right? You, you do have a trusted third party in that instance, which is the bank. But if you have that trusted third party anyway, because carbon emissions are hard to measure, with uh, without having an oracle or a human to be able to to pin that back to the blockchain, how much value is there to the blockchain in itself? But anyway, that that can be a rhetorical question. I don't want to harp on that too much here. I'll add one more thing on the on the side of the administrative fees too. One advantage, as at least I'm not an expert on blockchain, but as it was presented, is you're literally cutting out some of these middle people that are just kind of filling out paperwork and keeping track of things and running around, maybe even traveling across the globe to figure this out or that out. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're not even part of the equation. And that way, the whole system's less expensive. So some people are out of a job, but it's probably okay. Yeah. So if 50% of the price of emissions credits goes toward the middle men of this, then uh, there's definitely room for improvement there. Nori charges a 15% very transparent administrative fee. Also, the interesting resource, air miners is a thing and, and that I found out while, while I was researching this. So you can actually mine the air for carbon. And there's a whole group around this. I, I think it's just, they're just called the air miners. They've got a Slack group. Just, you know, there's companies being built all around. All that they're doing is get taking the carbon out of the air and selling the, the credits and that's their business. So it's very reassuring that this could turn into a profitable endeavor where all you're doing is sort of trying to reverse what's already been put out there and you can, you can make some money off of it. So I've got to go on a mini rant. Go for it. About carbon removal. So I'm just going to, yeah. you can indulge me here. When we're talking about the carbon emissions that are going to have this catastrophic impact, it's a very small percentage of the atmosphere that if it's filled with CO2, uh, will cause these catastrophic effects on the orders of parts per million. The number, the line in the sand is 450 parts per million. If you stay 
above if you go above that then you're going to get the worst effects of climate change so that'd be like saying there you know you've got this giant pool of a million green marbles and right now there are 400 yellow marbles in there and you're going to try and remove some of those yellow marbles to get down to 350 yellow marbles like you're trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? You're trying to pull out these marbles that you can't otherwise distinguish other than they're just slightly different. So I'm confused here. Don't trees pull those marbles out of the air every day? They do. They do. But I'm saying that there are people who are creating solutions that do this, but it's not easy to do that. It's not trivial. It's not efficient necessarily to to do that. And I think Nori, they're very big in trying to remove carbon to the exclusion, maybe not the exclusion, but not as much focus on trying to reduce emissions. And it's much easier to keep those marbles from intermingling with each other in the first place. So, you know, rant over on that. Nice. That was, I would qualify that as many. Good job. I just want to bring up just a feasibility of, of projects and other things that are interesting that are going on similar space. I literally just met with a guy earlier today um, who's a co-founder of a project called Green the Bid. And he actually works in, he's worked in film and TV production, things like this. And they've created a movement to help people who do film and TV productions to make their productions green, right? And, you know, one of the things that he said was, you know, isn't it too bad that people want to do a green production, but it's kind of like the last priority, that it's sort of the last thing that gets cut, you know, oh, yeah, okay, so yeah, we want to do it green, but we'll cut whatever that carbon credited or whatever we're going to do to make it green. And basically, he's saying what he wants to do is make it something where people kind of commit ahead of time to this line item that they're going to budget in, and it just becomes a natural part of what you do. So it's not something that's special anymore. Like, oh, look, we did this eco-friendly shoot. No, like all shoots are eco-friendly. Of course, this is just a piece of the puzzle that always gets put in. And I think what's what's really exciting about the climate, no pun intended today, is that you know we're getting to the point where we're raising our awareness around these things so much that that I can foresee that there's a day in which it's just something that you take into account. You know, just like just like we manage our energy consumption by looking at our electricity bill now, companies could more easily manage their consumption and their production of carbon emissions and things like this because it's monitored and everybody just takes it for granted. That's something you you consider. I love your optimism, Ethan. You're just <laughs> never ending optimist. Well, I'm wearing my heart, my heart coherence monitor. So you just I'm not <laughs> going to get. But you're going for low heart rate variability, <laughs> so you're, you're in the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> I want to throw out, so before we get into some you know, action steps and nuts and bolts here, I'm going to throw out one other alternative approach, and it is a highly regulatory-based approach. It's a uh, carbon fee and dividend. And there may be some interesting aspects that we can pull into, into a private sector model here, but the basic way that that would work is carbon is priced on the emissions level. And I think that the starting point is $15 per metric ton. You would measure the industrial emitters, so oil refineries, for example. The total number of emitters that you'd have to measure is actually not super high. So you're not going all the way down to the person because the energy use that you use, Ethan, in your car, that energy had to go through a refinery. And if it's electricity, it had to go through a coal power plant or wherever. So measure it at that level. Price those people. So add the $15 per metric ton 
And then you give that money back to Americans in the form of a dividend, and it's equally distributed. And that has the benefit of both increasing the price of energy so that you are naturally going to use less of it, but also being uh, neutral in terms of your ability to spend money and finance things on a household level, say. They're projecting that 58% of Americans would actually get more money as a result of the uh, dividend because they don't use as much energy as the top 42% of folks. So there's a lot in that to unpack. You can, you know, we'll link to that in the show notes, but... A little shout out to a, a book I'm reading right now. Maybe you read it recently, Chris. I know somebody else we know did it, a couple of people. This book uh, by Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership. Anyways, it's it's sort of off topic, but on topic. In Whatever you just explained, I did, totally did not understand it. <laughs> it's hard to say. But one thing that he... He points out in this book he's dealing with, he talks about war stories, he talks about a company that he's consulting with. If something's too complicated, people just can't do it. And I think whatever needs to happen, it needs to be something where it's simple and people just, they just, it's like they just get it, you know, and whatever complication it must happen behind the scenes. And then the everyday citizen can just figure out the details. Let's talk about what's working in the blockchain space. How do we get started? Do we, uh, do we just start creating a backend? Do we hire software developers? Do we partner with uh, oil companies? You know, anybody got any first steps? ICO all the way. ICO yeah, all I, way. I, 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 I think actually yeah, now we're kind of getting back to, to, to maybe the other half of this. And I think Chris has a, has a point with combining your idea. It's like super simple. Like why do people love Bitcoin? Because the price keeps going up. Why people so you know, like, and same with any altcoin. And so I think I'd love to see potentially this finance with some sort of coin that's actually on, makes it to Coinbase. And then at the same time, there's this kind of like exciting cryptocurrency undertone to it belongs to the people, gives the people this like data that they have, they can, you know, hold people accountable. So I feel like there's, that's the other maybe secret sauce to it is like, yeah, I saw the eco coin example. And I'm just like, why isn't this bigger? Why isn't like everyone trading in this? And like, what could we do with the blockchain aspect of this so that everybody's trading in this coin and thus making this this company, this chain super rich? Yeah, I think that's a big challenge with ICOs. You're infinitely more qualified to speak to this than either of us. But a lot of the value that creates in blockchain is due to people using it. I mean, exponentially, right? So Bitcoin is super valuable because the ledger has existed for as long as it has and because there are all these validators and people trading in it. So all those also rands that happen, they don't have nearly as much security, you know, assurance of reliability, all, all those sorts of things. So, I mean, that's a, a long way of stating that there are a ton of coins out here that, you know, this isn't that out there or novel of an idea or maybe even hard to do that, that there aren't going to be dozens of competitors. How do you actually get enough market share with this coin to get all the value? You know, it's got to be a movement behind it. I think it's got to have technology, a true technology that works, then it's got to have a movement behind it. And I think what makes a lot of these coins successful is they have something that's adding something to the blockchain. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine the scenarios in which which it manifests itself. I'm almost thinking of like an inverse coin, right? Like a, like a coin that goes up in value the less carbon is in the atmosphere or something like that, right? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. 
and potentially a situation where you can trade it and the people who want to buy it are the ones who feel like they can actually have an impact on making the value go up, you know, so you can give away your coin for sure, but then somebody else might grab it. And that person is now going to be incentivized. They're holding a certain amount of that coin, you know, to improve the, the state of the environment. I like that it gives a tangible value to this thing that we really can't, can't, nobody can really quite wrap their head around in this moment. You know, I'll, I'll just bring up something a little bit off topic, but just like success stories. I was looking for success stories. I'm sure there's there's plenty nowadays of people doing things in blockchain. Uh, but I did find one of an indie hacker, Dean Frankenhauser. He may, he makes 15000 a month with BitCompare. That's a comparison website for the crypto industry. He started a little over a year ago, August 2019. He, he aggregates information on the value of various crypto savings accounts, exchanges, brokers, things like this. And uh, he makes money through affiliate links to the various offers he compares. So I don't know, just just an interesting tidbit about starting things in this space. This one, particularly to me, it, it's got that odor of selling shovels, right? Doing doing things that help facilitate what's already being done and being an aggregation type site. So I don't know if there's a space for that within our carbon emissions idea, but it could be in a nice direction to start your thinking. Yeah, I think it definitely has to have that build in the open feel, that journey telling where it feels like people feel part of it. I think that's sometimes what's missing. People just, you know, they're kind of like removed from what's going on. Me in my house doing my recycling or composting or not doing it. You don't see that maybe most of my recycling is going and actually being rejected or like you don't, there's a, there's just such a disconnect to some of these um, methods of, of trying to be green or environmentally friendly. Maybe there's a way to give that kind of feel that, that commitment and it's there. It's a little bit more front and center. Yeah. On that topic, I I heard you on, um, another podcast, I think talking about your experience with startup accelerators and startup incubators and sort of one of the things that can come out of those situations is learning better story, storytelling, storytelling to, you know, both the clients that you have and potential investors. Is there anything that kind of sticks out in your, in your memory about things you learned about storytelling or maybe skills you feel you already had naturally that have helped with your success? Rule number one I'm breaking right now is just being, uh, not having, not having practiced this pitch enough. Uh, you know, it's definitely a raw idea. And I think when it comes to storytelling, you're going to iterate, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times over the lifetime of a company. And, you know, that down to the very words you put in your tagline, because you're always learning more. And the whole point of a startup, right, is you don't know everything yet. So you're trying to figure it out. So I think that's, what's kind of, that's what I love about run with it and your podcast here is it gives you that chance to kind of, this is like one iteration uh, or many iterations throughout this uh, whole podcast. And now you have time to kind of reflect and kind of challenge each other and figure out what makes the most sense. And no doubt there's always, I think there's always going to be competitors and other people doing things. And maybe there's, there's room for lots of uh, solutions here, but we're just kind of coming at it from like that idealistic view of like, what if there was this like one incredible solution and trying to push to that, but in in turn, then that competition, you know, rises everyone together sometimes, most of the time, uh, because it's if you're as good as your average competitor, or however that saying goes. So I feel like that's like one of the big things in storytelling is like you just you have to kind of practice that pitch over and over and over again to the point where it, you're always going to be like tweaking these little things and tweaking it for the different people you're speaking to. 
yeah, like a repetitive repetition and optimization model definitely oh, yeah. seems to work. Yeah. And, you know, again, just to toot our own horn here, Jeff Proctor came on our show, brought the idea of the uber expensive water bottle. And, you know, that was, you know, round one iteration, say on that idea, not to say that Fitbit stole the idea from us, but they created other iterations of this and now have released their whatever, 80 to a hundred dollar water bottle. Just, uh, just a little bit down the line. <laughs> yeah. And when, 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 how good is this water bottle? <laughs> it sold out at the first year. Chris saw it. I don't know. Bluetooth enabled, uh, okay. USB. Uh, okay, okay. It controls your HRV. Heart with, coherence with, tracking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up on time here. Tristan, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Where can listeners go to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, uh, hit me up on TristanPollock.com or Pollock on Twitter. Short and sweet. <laughs> All right. Short and sweet. <laughs> and to the listener, go out and follow through on what Tristan has shared here. Let us know what you think about this idea. Tell us where we're completely off or where uh, you know where we got things right. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. Email us at update at runwithit.fm. Subscribe to us in your podcast player of choice and leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to let us know how we're doing and help make the show better for you all. Thank you very much, Tristan Pollock. And to the listener, we'll see you next time. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.